This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Let's pray together. Loving Father, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would turn our eyes towards you. We pray that you would teach us your way, O Lord, that we might walk in your truth, that you would give us undivided hearts to revere your name. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. One of the highlights of my week, every week, happens to happen on Tuesdays at noon. Tuesday at noon is when the church staff, the Ascension staff, gather together for lunch in the hunt rooms. After morning prayer, after our morning staff meeting, we sit around the table with our bagged lunches and we eat together. It's very casual. There's never an agenda. We don't ever discuss church business. We just chat and eat together. And typically it's pretty light. Usually there's a lot of laughter. We enjoy spending time together, but sometimes... Sometimes we touch on things that are more serious. And a few weeks ago, we, were, we happened to be talking about the joys and the challenges of getting old. And the loudest around the table were those who were uh, approaching their 30s, and in my case, my 40s. This was obviously very ironic because what do we really know about getting old? I think Jess Bennett realized she sensed the irony in the conversation for those who are dominating it. And so she turned to Deacon Mark to ask for his perspective, and Mark is sort of the elder statesman of our staff. Now, up until this point in time, I don't think Mark had said a word about the conversation. But when asked, he said, well, I actually do have something to say about this. And what happens next actually felt like a scene from a movie, and that might not be surprising given that Mark is an actor. But Mark uh, put his hands on the table and he just sort of slowly stood up, it was all very dramatic. And then he pulled a note out of his pocket and he unfolded the note. We were like, what is he gonna say? What's written on that note? And he said, I'd like to read something. And he read the note. Thus says the Lord, stand at the crossroads and look and ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way lies and walk in it. Jeremiah 6 was written on his note. It was like he was anticipating this question. And then Mark said, the key to life, the key to getting old, is to follow the ancient paths. In every season of life, God will show them to you, and you just need to follow where he leads. And then Mark sat down, and we were all just kind of quiet, like, what just happened? We were a bit stunned. We were having what you would call a moment. Personally, I was very struck by this image, by this phrase, the ancient paths. I'm sure I've read Jeremiah 6 dozens of times, but for whatever reason, that image, that phrase never really jumped off the page for me. That is, not until Mark shared it with me. And since he has, it's stuck with me. And that's just what I want to focus on this morning. I want us to consider the ancient paths. I want to consider what it looks like to follow Jesus along the ancient path. 
And so to do that, we're going to look at one verse from our psalm this morning. We're going to look at Psalm 86, verse 11. That's going to take uh, the whole time this morning, that one verse. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart to revere your name. And this is one of the best descriptions of the ancient path that I think we can find in all of Scripture. It's an amazing verse. I've been chewing on this verse for two weeks. It pretty much covers all of the bases of the Christian life. I've begun praying it to start every single day as I get out of bed, and it is a fantastic way to begin my day. This little verse shows us the ancient path. It gives us the tracks to run on it, gives us insight into who we are as humans and how we can actually follow Jesus. Very practical. And so I want to unpack all of this by sharing three observations about this one verse this morning. And the first observation that I would share with you is this. I think this verse shows us who we are as human beings. It sheds light on what we're made of. And if I were to put it a bit more technically, implicit in Psalm 86 verse 11 is a profound theological anthropology. This verse tells us that there are three parts to who we are as humans. We are creatures with minds, we're creatures with bodies, and we're creatures with desires, with heads, hands, and hearts. And each one of these parts plays a very important role in following Jesus along the ancient path. Now, a good friend of mine by the name of Nick Nowak, he's a pastor in New York City and happens to be one of my favorite teachers. I learn so much from him all the time. And uh, he once observed that most Christians, uh, not all, but most Christians, tend to have one of three primary ways of connecting with God. My friend Nick describes these as uh, three Christian personality types, what we might call spirituality types. So first there's the philosopher-theologian types. And these are Christians who have more of an intellectual orientation to their faith. This type loves sermons. They love listening to lectures and podcasts on theology. They love to read books and they love to read commentaries. The philosopher-theologian type enjoys meditating on the beauty and the complexity of Christian doctrine. They love to learn and to study and to engage with others, sometimes even argue with others about theology and the Bible. This first personality type, they love to love God with their minds, with their heads. And the second personality type is what we might call the pragmatist. Pragmatists are Christians who love to love God with their actions. They're less focused on thinking and far more focused on doing, on getting stuff done for the kingdom. The mantra of the pragmatist is less talk, more rock, right? That would be like a t-shirt a pragmatist would wear. If you're a pragmatist, you might think sermons are great, books are fine, but really what gets you excited is loving your neighbor in very tangible and practical ways. If the philosopher-theologian type is drawn to a theologically complex book like Romans, the pragmatist is drawn more to a book like James. The pragmatist is not very interested in debating something like free will and predestination. They would much rather teach someone English or make a meal for somebody or help a refugee family get resettled. 
Now, before I move on to the third type, I just want to say that none of these types are bad. I'm not trying to say uh, one is better than the other or put them against each other. They're not mutually exclusive. Um, the church needs champions for biblical truth, and the church needs champions for justice and mercy. The church needs Christians who love to explore hard questions with the mind of Christ, and we need Christians who love to be the hands and feet of Jesus. We need both types. So this brings us to the third personality type, and this type I'll call the charismatic contemplative, the charismatic contemplative type. The most important thing for this type is experiencing God's presence, its relationship, having intimacy, having a close walk with God. Experiencing God is what gets you most excited. When you experience his presence, that's where you feel most alive. This is the Christian that is sort of heart-dominant, we might say. So if you're a more heart-oriented Christian, your bookshelf is probably more filled with devotional books, not theology books. If you're a heart-oriented Christian, you probably love to listen to praise music every chance you get. Whether you're alone or in a small group of people or in church, you just love to pray, you love to praise the Lord because this is where you feel closest to him. So those are the three types. And of course, I'm painting with very broad brushstrokes here, but I wonder, as I described these three personality styles or spirituality styles, I wonder if one of them, or maybe two, described you better than any of the others. I wonder if any of these resonated with you. Well, if they did, great. Self-awareness is a good thing. Knowing how you best connect with God can be really helpful. But if none of these types resonated with you, don't worry, that's okay too. The point here is not that we should lean into the mode of spirituality that comes most naturally to us and just sort of ignore and neglect the other ways. In fact, the main point of our verse is quite the opposite, really. A healthy faith integrates our heads and our hands and our hearts. You really need all three to have a healthy walk with the Lord. And this brings me to my second observation about our verse, and that's this. Psalm 86.11 doesn't describe three separate paths to God. It describes one path that encompasses all of who we are, one path that encompasses all of us. It's not enough just to love God with your mind or to just love God with your actions or to just love him with your heart. The ancient path, invites us, it calls us, it beckons us to love God with our whole selves, with all of who we are. The ancient path, in other words, calls for integration. This is a very good word, integration. And I want to unpack this idea of integration here for a minute. Now, if I were writing this verse, if I were writing Psalm 86, verse 11, and I had these three categories in mind, head, hands, and heart, I think I would have written the verse a little bit differently. If I were writing it, I would have put it like this. Teach me your truth, O Lord, that I may walk in your way. These seem like more obvious pairs to me, teaching and truth, walking and way. But this isn't how the psalmist pairs things up. Instead, the psalmist writes, teach me your way that I may walk in your truth. It's subtle, but do you, do you notice the difference? 
Well, this is very interesting to me. I don't know if you find it interesting, but I think it's very interesting. As I've meditated on this verse, I wondered why my instincts were different than how this psalm is. I've wondered why the psalm puts it differently than I would have. And there's probably lots of good answers to this question, but I think at least one answer is that the ancient path encourages integration. The ancient path resists compartmentalizing the different parts of who we are. As I've reflected on this verse, the image of a braid kept coming into my mind. And I think this image of a braid is a really helpful one. Now, I'm not particularly good at braiding hair, which is the thing that I typically imagine when it comes to braiding, but sometimes my four-year-old daughter, Mary, lets me braid her hair. It's a fun little thing we can do together sometimes. I'm pretty clumsy with it, but I take the three strands of her hair and I weave them in and I weave them out and I weave them in and I weave them out. And when I'm done, doesn't look always the best, but her hair is tied together. When I'm done, it's hard to tell which strand is which. They're braided together, they're woven together, they become one thing. And I think we see something like this in Psalm 86, verse 11. The three parts of who we are, our head, our hands, and our heart, they're all braided together. And the three corresponding practices of learning and walking and revering God, they're all braided together, they're woven together, they are integrated. I want to take a little closer look at what I mean by this. So the first thing the psalmist says is, teach me your way, O Lord. Now the way of the Lord refers to who God is and what God is like. And in the Bible, this is never an abstraction. It's never just an idea. It's always personal. It's always relational. It's always tied to concrete things God has done in history and in our lives. The psalmist is not asking to know about God. He's, act- he's asking to actually know God himself. And there's a huge difference between knowing about God and knowing God. He's not looking for information. He's not looking for facts about God. He's looking for God himself. He wants to know the God who created the world and the God who redeems his people. And this desire to know God is braided right into the next line. Teach me your way, O Lord. Why? What's the purpose? In order that I might walk in your truth. In order that I might live in a way that corresponds with the truth of who you are, God. You see, the purpose of knowing God is to put this knowledge into practice. To live it. Put differently, the ancient path leads us not simply into knowledge, but into wisdom. And wisdom is applied knowledge. It's knowledge that's been put into practice. Wisdom is knowledge that makes its way from our heads into our hearts and into our hands. Or to stick with the walking metaphor in our verse, into our feet. Walking in the truth of God means our lives mirror God's life. Our lives become a mirror that reflects who God really is. It reflects that back into the world. Because God is gracious and slow to anger, so are we. Because God cares for the widow and the orphan and the refugee, well, so do we. When we walk in the truth, people see us and they get a glimpse of who God is. This brings us to the third uh, strand of the braid. Give me an undivided heart to revere your name. 
Now, many other translations put it a little little differently. Give me an undivided heart to fear your name. And this is a really important category in the scriptures, fearing God. And it doesn't mean we are to be afraid of God. To fear God means that we are to relate to God as if he really is who he says he is. We are to relate to God as if he is the one who created the whole world. As if he is the one who has redeemed the world. As if he's the one who really loves us. And of course, this is impossible. We can't fear God unless God takes our divided and fragmented and broken hearts and ties it back together, unites it to luxury love him. And what's interesting to me about this final strand of the braid is that it kind of, this verse kind of ends with the beginning. In a way, the final line here is the foundation of the whole thing. Psalm 9 tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A heart that reveres the Lord is actually a prerequisite for knowing God and for living like God. The ancient path encourages the integration of our heads and our hands and our hearts. They're all braided together. They become one in a way. And this leads to my third and final observation about this verse. And this is really more of a question. The question is how? As I've turned this verse over and over in my mind these past couple weeks, I found myself asking the same question over and over again. How? How are we to do this? How are we to put this into practice? How are we to learn God's way? How are we to walk in God's truth? How are we to actually revere God's name? And the answer, I think, has everything to do with the Holy Spirit. I want us to think back to that Jeremiah 6 passage for a moment. We read it earlier in the service. It's the one that Deacon Mark quoted. Through the prophet Jeremiah, God invites his people to follow him. And Jeremiah says this. This is the bottom of page 3 in your bulletin if you want to look there. Jeremiah says, Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient path and walk in it. Now, how did Jeremiah's audience respond? How did the people respond to this invitation? Well, they said, we will not walk in it. They said, thanks, but no thanks, God. We're not going to do that thing. And it's not just that they didn't say yes to God's invitation. The truth is, the people couldn't say yes to God's invitation, even if they wanted to, and of course they don't. The reason I say they couldn't respond and say, yes, we're going to do this, is because they didn't have the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, nobody can walk in the ancient path, at least not for very long. But friends, here is the good news this morning. On this side of Jesus, our situation is completely different. Because of the life and the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus, God's Holy Spirit has been poured out on all flesh. God's Spirit enables us to actually say yes to this wonderful invitation to follow him along the ancient path. We actually can follow the ancient path because the Holy Spirit teaches us the way of Jesus. We actually can walk in God's truth because the Holy Spirit transforms us to live like Jesus 
and to look like Jesus. We actually can revere God's name because the Holy Spirit gives us new hearts if we trust him. So how do we put this amazing verse into practice? How do we walk along the ancient path? Well, it's not by tying our bootstraps tighter, as if all of it depended on us. Of course it doesn't. But at the same time, we do have a part to play. And I like to describe the part we have to play as faithful participation. Faithful participation. In faith, we participate with what God is doing in us, and what God is doing through us. Faithful participation. And I love how the Apostle Paul describes this in Philippians 2. He writes this, he says, you are to work out your salvation. You are to work. You're to work out your salvation with fear and with trembling. For it is God who is working in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Faithful participation. God invites us to the ancient path, and our part is to respond in faith. God leads us along this path, and our part is to follow him in faith. Through the Holy Spirit, we work out our salvation with fear, with reverence. For it is God who teaches us, and it is God the Holy Spirit who enables us to walk in his truth. And as I end this morning, what I want to do is end with a few minutes of silence. I want to give you the gift of silence. I want to create space for you to think about these things. I want to create space for you to pray. And if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, well, I'm very glad that you're here. And I want to encourage you to use this time to consider these things and to consider actually following Jesus, maybe for the very first time, along this ancient path. And if you're here this morning and you're, you are a Christian, I'm also very glad that you're here. And I encourage you to use this time by inventorying your life. Ask the Holy Spirit where he wants to do some course correction in your life. Ask the Holy Spirit where he wants to draw you back into the center, how he wants to draw you back into the center of the ancient path. And after a moment of silence, I'll end by leading us in prayer. So let's be in silence for a moment. Loving Father, we thank you that you are indeed here. 
and that we can encounter you. We thank you that through your Holy Spirit, you speak to us through your word, that you point our eyes to your beloved son, Jesus. Lord, I thank you for drawing each of us this morning to yourself. Lord, this morning we know you are calling us to the ancient path. You're inviting us to walk in it. And so with that in mind, Lord, we pray that you would teach us your way, O Lord, that we might walk in your truth. We ask that you would give us undivided hearts to revere your name. We pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.